Ephesians chapter 2. Join me this morning, Ephesians chapter 2. We are, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be in Christ. That, that's who we are, being in Christ. And there are, there are several places that use that particular phrase, in Christ. And there are so many things that it means to us uh, concerning our relationship with Him and how we are perceived in our relationship with Him. It's easy, it's real easy to talk a good game about Christianity. We can talk about joining a church. We can talk about when I was a child. We can talk about different things about uh, when we go or what we do or so on and so forth. But those words are empty if we are not in Christ. And if we are in Christ, then folks, there are things we need to be doing because we are in Him. And so we have to understand basically what that means. And, and we're going to see something today that kind of goes along with this so-called holiday that we have. We, we celebrate Labor Day and everybody goes to work. Some of you do. If you'll get in the ministry, you never have to work again in your life. Just part of the thing. But have you ever asked yourself, how much time would it take for you and I to accomplish everything that needs to be done in our daily life? Have you ever heard somebody say there's just not enough hours in the day? Well, there's 24. So I don't, I don't see what the problem is. Here's the problem. We try to do more than we should be doing. I read a survey the other day. Listen to this. There's some scholars, these, these people that figure this stuff out, which means they don't have a job. And here's what they figured out. They, they talked to people about how much time it took for them in their daily life for exercise, hygiene, going, working, commuting back and forth to work, all the domestic chores, the maintenance that has to be done uh, basically when we get home, the time it takes to eat, entertainment, spiritual development, sleep, being with our family, on and on and on. And these people that figured all of this up said that everything that we try to do would take 42 hours in one day. We, we try to take 42 hours and put it into 24 hours. And then we wonder why we're tired all the time. If we would just focus on, I've got this many hours in this day. I will do what I can do and get done those things that are needed. I understand there, there's always times when things happen and we have to, we have to go beyond and, and do a little bit more and a little bit more and all of those things. And, and every one of us have, have faced days when we've, we've uh, had all that we can do and finally get home and sit down and then you have to get up and you have to go again and you're up all night. We've all dealt with things like that. We try to do that all by ourselves, 
every day. We go beyond those things that are actually physically possible for us, then they become impossible. 42 hours is what they said. Now, here's what I want you to hear. This survey was done in 1989. Can you imagine how many hours are in our day now? Can you imagine with everything that we have, what, it's, what, it, what we're trying to do? And then people talk about, well, if I just didn't have to work. Well, that would be nice. But guess what? We have to work. And you hear, you hear kids growing up. I've got grandkids that are growing up. You have kids that are growing up. And you hear them say this. Boy, I can't wait till I finish school. Remember that? And I remember saying the same thing, don't you? And guess what? When you finish school, guess what happens? You go to work. And then you hear those same kids say, man, I, I just can't wait to get married. I've got news for you. Being married is a job. And all the men said, amen, preacher. <laughs> and then, here it is. Boy, I can't wait to have children. Now, you talk about work. Because you see, them little rascals don't ever go away until you get all the diapers changed. And then they grow into this where they tear everything up. And then they grow into this time between the age of, of 11 and 27. Every day you think, I'm, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him today. Today I'm going to kill him. It's a job. There's work to be done. And then, for some reason, your wife says, are you going to work? Are you going to work? I will when you will. So we both go to work. It's a job. It's work. Everything that we do is work. And then we begin to pray, Lord, come so we don't have to work. Guess what we're going to do in heaven? We're going to work. And that's what the scripture says. But what if I were to tell you this morning, there is a way for you to have everything that you'll ever need in this life and you don't have to work. Y'all in? I'm, I'm serious. There is a way to have everything that you want and need, everything that you need in this life and you don't have to work. Would you like that? All of you are thinking, yeah, that, that'd be great. And I'm not talking about retiring i'm not talking about living off of the government or living off of someone else you know many of you i, I look around and I, I can see that that most of you grew up in in kind of the same time that i did or or maybe a little after or whatever it might be but i can still remember i was told when i reached a place where i was getting a job i was told young man if you go to work for somebody you work for them you don't, you don't call in sick every other day, and, and you don't decide it's too early for me to get up, and you don't decide to do this or that. You work. 
and you earn everything that you get. Remember those days? Well, guess what? I'm fixing to show you something where you can have everything in this world that you need and you don't have to work for it. Isn't that a great thought? You want to see it? I'll read it to you. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Now look at verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Not of works. And we're talking about people that are striving to have everything that they want. And they work, and they work, and they work, and they work so that they can please God. They work so that they can, they can get better in the sight of God. They work so that they can do this, that, or the other. And then they say, well, my life is the best that it can be. And, and I was saved as a little child, and, and I joined this church, and I did this, and I did that. All of that is part of this working business. See, the only way that you can ever have Jesus Christ as your Savior is to quit working and let God do the work. Because you can work all you want to, and you will never find a place in heaven. But if we find Jesus as our Savior and we are in Christ, then we will have everything that we need. You don't have to work a lick for it. And God will bless you throughout these ages. Does it mean I can quit my job? No. Does it mean I can, I can uh, do away with my family? No. It means that God will see through you through every bit of that. And as long as you trust Him and lean on Him, God is going to bless you throughout everything that you do until we see Him again. Now there's a book that is written. It's called The Art of War. You ever heard of it? A Chinese man wrote this book. He was a great mastermind, but he wrote it centuries ago, The Art of War. And I thought about that, and I thought about, you know, the art of work is designed for us by God. And so I want to point out some things to you about God's work in our life that keeps us from having to work all the time if we are willing to put our faith and trust in Him. Now, I want you to go back to verse 1 with me in chapter 2 because I want to show you first of all the power of God's work watch this verse 1 of chapter 2 and you now if you have a King James Bible like I do or you have your own Bible most of you will see that that hath he quickened is in italics which means it's, it's not in the original text we're not going to meet that phrase again until verse 5 and the only reason that that is there is to help us to understand what he's talking about. So basically he says, and you who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. 
The last two weeks we've been talking about our relationship in Christ and what it means to be in Christ. If you remember, I started it off both times talking about what we were before we were in Christ. And most of these writings come from the Apostle Paul. Many of them are in the book of Ephesians. But in these first three chapters, Paul once again describes the fact that you and I were not a part of God. We were not in Christ. And he says, I want you to to be able to move away from that. And to be able to say with assurance in your heart, I am in Christ. I didn't ask you about joining a church. I didn't ask you about everything that you're doing. I'm asking you, are you truly in Christ? And so that's what he says here. And you, hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and in sin. Now you look above that in verses 20 through 23 of chapter 1. He talks about the, the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, and he had dominion over all of this world. Now, that same power applies to us. The same resurrection power. Philippians 3.10, if you want to read that. Resurrection power raises believers from the dead to place us in heavenly places, but it only comes not from our work, but from the power of Almighty God. We have power, but it's only a limited physical power. But God's power has the power to raise the dead and raise the living dead. You see, that's who we are without Christ. You're a walking dead person. Now, I'm not going to get in. I've I've been over this deal enough about this walking dead business that they have on television. You want me to tell you what's sad? I, I promise you, I've never watched that show. And I'm never going to watch that show. I have no use for that show. But here's the problem. You don't need that show to point that out. Because every day that you live, wherever you go, you pass someone that is walking dead. Because you see, without Christ, we are dead. He said this, dead in our trespasses and sin. We're dead. We may breathe. We may go to work. We may have a family. We may do all of those things that that we mentioned. We may participate, we may give, we may do this, we may do that. All of those things we can do, but we're doing it within ourselves. And God says you are dead in trespasses and sin. Now I want you to, I want you to hear something uh, and, and take real close, pay cl- close attention to this. That word that he used there in, in verse 1, you who were dead in trespasses and sin. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something with you and, and not show you how smart I am because I, I really don't understand this fully. But I want to tell you there's two words in the Scripture for dead, being dead. One of them is necros and one of them is thanatos. Now, I want to show you something from those, those words. The word necros means that it, it's not physical death. But it separates the spirit from the body, whether the spirit is in heaven or hell. 
Now you make that choice. You die that death, the Spirit separates, and without Christ, you're not in Christ, then you spend eternity in hell. With Christ, we go to heaven and be with Him. This word is the word thanatos. That word means separation of the person from God. Totally separated from God. That is that death. We are born, when you come out of your mother's womb, you are born dead. Now, I'm not talking about, and I know there's some of you here that have had stillborn children and all. Please, don't, don't take that. I'm talking about us that are sitting here today. Little, little baby that uh, God takes home. Listen, that little baby's in heaven waiting on you. Just like all those other little babies that uh, these people think that it's, it's a right for them to be able to jerk them out and kill them because some woman don't want to bear that child. See, abortion can be forgiven, but folks, abortion is nothing but murdering little children. The good thing is those 60-something million babies that we've killed over these many years, they're in heaven waiting for us to get there. Isn't that great to know? Now, when we are born, me, when I was born, I was born dead. The mother began to raise me. I went through every, all the processes. I gave them fits through my teenage years, just like everybody does. I did this, I did that, I did the other. But when I was 12 years old, I recognized that I was dead. I didn't have anything in my life that was worth having. And everything that I looked at, everything that I thought was joy, was nothing but a dead end. There was nothing that I could get from everything that was there. And I realized I needed a Savior. And when I knelt down, I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and save me. And this dead 12-year-old boy stood up alive in Jesus Christ. Those who are dead walking around are there because that's what they have chose. When you think about, when you think about this thing called death, spiritual life, you and I having a, a life with, with Christ, spiritual life is a conscious existence in communion with God. I can talk to Him. If you're in Christ, you can talk to Him. He will answer us. He will talk to us. He guides us. He leads us. He supplies us with everything that we need. But death, such as we're talking about, is a conscious exist existence in separation from God. We're still alive, but separated from God. He's not there. So now that means that we are dead, but God's resurrection power brings us up from the dead. And verse 2 says, it delivers us from the devilish deceit that Satan is passing on to us. We are conceived in sin, born in sin. We are a slave to Satan. We are a slave to sin. We serve Satan whether you like it or not. You see, that, that's who is guiding us and, and directing us and trying to get us to just put all of this stuff aside. You see, Satan doesn't mind you going to church. He loves it when you go to church. He loves it when you appear and, and you sit in the church and the church service is over and you go back out. And maybe in a couple of months you'll come back and, and you'll sit down again. Satan loves that. He loves for you to come to church. He doesn't mind you if you pick up the Bible and read it. Doesn't mind it at all. He doesn't mind the things that you might do if, if you give something to the church. He doesn't mind that a bit. He doesn't want you hearing what God has to say to you. 
He doesn't want you all of a sudden saying, this is what I need. And so he begins to deceive us. And whether we like it or not, Satan becomes our master. We choose. I reached an age of accountability, so did you. And at that age of accountability, I chose to do this, to say this, to be this way. I made those choices. Satan is luring that, but I'm the one that makes the choices. He didn't make me do anything. I chose to do that. Now, when you and I recognize that Satan is deceiving us and pulling us away, here's what you need to understand. You and I are free to choose what we want. But when Satan is in control of us, we are not free to choose what we ought to choose. Do you understand me? When Satan is governing us, we are free to choose what we want. This desire, this desire, this desire, this one. But when we start to choose what we ought to choose, the things of God, we're not free. He'll shut you down. He'll take it away from you so that we can't choose what we ought to choose. See, and that's, that's the problem that we have. So what God did with this resurrection power is not only does he make us alive, but he delivers us from the devilish deceit. And he takes those things away from us, and we reach out and we take what we ought to take, and that's salvation in Christ. And when we do that, we've been delivered by the power of God's work. Okay? Verse 3. Look at what he said. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. That's our walk in this life. In the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, the desires of the mind, by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Folks, when you and I are born, we are born depraved. Now, you've, always, you've heard people talk about a depraved individual. That word for us, depraved, means that sin has penetrated every part of our being, our mind our will, our desires, our heart, everything about us. That sin has penetrated all of those things. And because of that, then you and I, we reach out to those things that we think are going to be good for us. But just listen to what Jesus said. And I I think it will help us all to, to understand. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. See, that's being in Christ. He that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. We are either in Christ or we're not. We either had the power that raises us or not. If we don't, then we are children of wrath. God is at work, and he is at work to bring to us what we can have that will give us everything that we ever need And he did it when he sent his son Jesus to this earth to die. The incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. That was the plan of God. And when God did that, the power of God at work in your life, in my life, began to move forward. And now God has presented the power of his work. And it is resurrection power. And if I die, 
And they put my body somewhere, roll me in a ditch. I really don't care. Because one day when Jesus steps down, I'm going to have a new body. I'm coming out of that grave. The grave cannot hold me. The grave has no victory over me. And the reason is, is the power of God that's in our life. He will take us. He will raise us. And we will live with him in newness forever. That's the power of God's work. But I want you to see with me now the privilege of God's work for me and you. We know of Romans 8, 28. We all know that God's uh, at work in our life, working all things together for good to them that love God, them that are called according to His purpose. God is working for good. But you see, the first thing God works for is for His glory. And His glory is always for our good. That's why we don't need to listen to ourselves about what we think we need. God is the one that knows what we need. And what brings Him glory, He works for good in our life. Now, we all know that. But all of a sudden, we see the privilege that He has given to us because He has done the work for us. Now, once again, the word that I don't like if you're talking about about God being able to do something, but it's a word that I like when it begins to break a thought. Verse 3 said, we're all seeking the sinful things of life. Look at verse 4, the very first word. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy and his great love wherewith he loved us, he allows us to participate in that. Now listen to me. God alone is the author of the change that comes in our life. And when we accept the change that God makes, it's a transformation. He changes us from what we were to who we are in Christ. And we all become that one in Christ. And we do that when we accept His Son's work. You see, folks, Jesus is the one that did all the work. God sent Him here. He was born. He lived without sin. He took His cross. He died on the cross. They put Him in a tomb. He rose again. He stayed with his disciples long enough to teach them some things. And then he said, I'll see you in a little while. And he ascended up into heaven. That's the work of God. When we believe that and trust that, his change begins to take place. And it's done, first of all, by God's boundless mercy and his great love. You know what that word mercy means? The word mercy is, is a word that comes from a word called eliamos. Eliamosinary, that, that's uh, someone that is uh, needing charity or they, they need something out of compassion. Someone wants to meet that need. So because of that compassion to meet that need, then they do everything they can to bring help to this, this person that is helpless. I don't mind people that are helpless. I don't mind helping them. I don't mind people that, that have a need. I, I don't mind doing that. But when people just don't want to do when they can do, but they don't do because they're doing things they ought not to do, and they want you to feel sorry for them because they're making these choices, folks, it's real hard sometimes. But I want to help. I want to do whatever what needs to be done, but I want to do it in the course of what God is doing for us. So listen, God recognizes that you cannot save yourself. 
God recognizes that you cannot bring yourself out of sin and take all of that away so that you will be pleasing in his sight. God recognizes that you can't come before his throne unless you know about the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. There's no work involved to it. God's pity upon us, his mercy is extended to us. And we all know what mercy is, don't we? Is God not giving to us what we rightfully deserve. We don't deserve anything that God gives to us. But God loves us so much that He gives us everything that we need in this life. But God's not blinded by, by His love and just say, I'll, I'll turn away and you go do whatever you want to. Listen, He is our Father. And you know what that means? You get out of line, He'll wear you out. Now, that, that's not a good phrase in, in this culture that we live in today. You can't talk about busting somebody. And so I won't talk about that, but I ought to be in jail. I'll, I'll put it to you that way. I had, I had a teacher one time when my son was small, and I went to a teacher's conference, and I, I listened to what she said. And she said, do you have anything to say to me? And I said, yes, ma'am. The only thing I want you to know is if he gets out of line and he doesn't let you teach him, you jerk him up and you bust his britches and you wear him out until he can't sit down. And she said, I can't do that. And I said, give me a call. I'll show you how to do that. Never abused my child. Never did. They think I did, but I didn't. There's a difference in abuse and discipline. Isn't there? It, it is. There's a difference there. God will not abuse you, but I guarantee you God will wear you out until you straighten up. See, he's not going to blind himself because he loves you so much. He's not going to blind himself and say, well, I can't do anything about that. But this privilege that he gives to us by his mercy and his love, he takes it a little bit further because what happens is that God's work in Christ allows us to share in God's love for His Son. And when we do that, then this resurrected Christ does something for us. Verse 5, when we were dead in sins, He quickened us. Now that word means He made it alive. Just like the quick on your finger or whatever, you tear that down, that hurts. Because see, this, this doesn't hurt up here on the nail, but down deep it hurts. Quick, the quick, quickened us. He made us alive. Together with Christ, then he interjects this, for by grace are you saved. Verse 6, and he raised us up together to sit together in, once again, there's a word in italics, places. Now that word heavenly means the heavenlies. We are raised up together to sit with him in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Dead in trespasses, we're made alive in Christ. Dead to God, we're made alive in Christ. God will get, make us alive, and His privilege gives us power and mercy. And He says we've been saved by grace. We don't deserve it. We have no claim to His pity and His mercy and His grace. But by God's grace, He showers that upon us. And the results are permanent. You see that, that word 
saved by grace. It's a phrase that means something that happens at a point in time that continues through the ages. So what happens is, in April of 1966, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I stood up, and I knew that I had accepted Christ. Now listen, and watch this. When I stood up, I was dead when I got down, but I stood up living eternal life. I'm living eternally. I have eternal life. My eternal life is in Jesus Christ. And one of these days, I'm going to sit with Him in the heavenlies. What does that mean? It means we're going to sit somewhere around Christ. I told people Wednesday night, looking at something like that, we get so involved in it, where will we sit? Will I sit here? Will I sit there? Will I sit? It don't matter if you're sitting on a stool. I'm going to sit with Jesus. I don't care where He sits me. I'm going to do what he asked me to do. I'm going to sit where he puts me because I'm in heaven with him. It doesn't matter where we sit. We're going to sit with Jesus. Why? Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now, you know what that means? It means that you and I are the trophies of God's grace. The trophies. Anybody ever have a trophy? At home, y'all got any trophies at home? I used to have some trophies and, and ribbons, and uh, Mama threw them all away. So I can't prove that I ever did anything. But we all, we all have trophies and, and ribbons, and we put them up, and we look at them, and say, I did this then, and I did this then, and this then. But we're not going to stand up in heaven and stand up and say, well, this is what I did, and Jesus saved me, and this is what I did, and this is how I was, and Jesus saved me. No, what we're going to do is that we're all going to sit there and say, I'm here only by the grace of God. God saved me only by His grace. I sit here today. Only by His grace. I sit in the heavenlies. It is God's grace. Rich in mercy, He said. In His mercy, God has saved us. He is our kinsman redeemer that's that loving kindness there that he's given to us and we have been rescued saved by the grace of god we read it a minute ago for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourself it's a gift of god not of works lest any man should boast by grace through faith god's grace comes to us he's done all the work for us and then he comes he convicts us by the holy spirit he he puts inside of us a faith that will reach out and take hold of the gift. Folks, salvation is not something you can earn. Salvation is not something that you do filling out a card on a pew in a church. Salvation is not something that you can do by giving a little or by going to church every once in a while or by living a good life. Salvation is by the grace of Almighty God and you have to receive it by faith. You take the gift. You don't earn it. It's a gift given to you. That's the privilege of God's work. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And then lastly, I want you to see the purpose of God's work. What is the purpose of God's work? Look at verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, the little thing that I, I say 
time and again. Salvation is not the root, or works is not the root of salvation. Works are the fruit of salvation. Now, here's, here's the purpose of God's work. There are so many of us here that are trying to work to do things for God. God doesn't want you figuring out what you need to do for God. He wants you to follow Him where He needs you. Now, you know, sometimes people decide, well, you know, I've been doing this in the church for a while. I'm just, I'm just not going to do those things anymore. I, I just need to sit back and need to rest a while. Folks, there's no retirement plan with God. God's got something for you to do. He's got something for me to do. But I can't decide what I want to do. You want to know what I want to do? You think I wanted to do this? No. I wanted to be a trooper. And I was a trooper for four and a half years. And you know, all of a sudden, I couldn't be a trooper anymore. I couldn't do it. I had something else to do. And I said, no, God, no. But I couldn't do that anymore. The only thing I could do was this. My choice was to do this. God's choice was for me to do this. When you start trying to do what you want to do, it becomes a job for you to do it. But when you follow the power of God in your life, because you are His workmanship, then God gives you the grace to endure and to see your way through to those things that God has planned for you. Don't struggle through it by yourself. Let God give you the direction. You're His workmanship. You know what that word means in the Greek? We get our, we get our word poem from that word workmanship. And it means we are His poem his masterpiece we are a symbol of god's grace his mercy his goodness he wants us to take the grace that we have and the salvation we have received in christ and he wants us to live so that others see jesus in us to show them this is salvation this is the goodness of god not struggling to do things by ourselves. Not giving up and saying, God, I don't need this anymore. I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Or I'm just not going to do anything anymore. What are you going to do? God has work for you to do. We are His workmanship unto good works. You don't decide. God does. Follow Him. Do what He asks you. You'll be happier. You'll be blessed. You'll have everything that God wants for you. Because you see, from the very beginning, God had it all planned for you. See, and I, I kept going like this until God finally put me down. And I continue. And I keep on. And I'm going to keep on until he takes me home, if that's his will. What about you? You see the, the purpose of his workmanship? 
We've got work to do, and we can't do it without Him. He supplies the power by the Holy Spirit. He supplies the wisdom. He supplies the directions. He shows us all of these things. And people sit back and say, I learned to do that all by myself. I learned how to put all that together. I learned how to do all that. That's why I'm doing this, and I'm making this big money, because I did all this. No, you didn't. Guess where the knowledge came from? Guess where the wisdom came from? Guess where the desire came from? God is the one that does that. God does it. We learn it. We do it. And I'm, I'm happy for you. Because you see, there's a lot of things. that I've, I've figured this out over the years. Plumbing and carpentering and, and laying floors and carpet. And what else can I do? There's a lot. All of those things, those are spiritual gifts. And I will not deprive a man of his spiritual gift. If that needs to be done, I say, oh, God, thank you. And I call somebody. Because I've, I've got a great witness here that will vouch for this. I can't do this stuff. I can't. I'd like to, but I can't. But people can. See? You can come do this. I'll let you. It's not hard. You know what you do? You open it up. You read a scripture. You make up stuff as you go. Nobody knows the difference. They go out. Say, man, that's great. That, that's good. See, there's nothing to this. Only by the grace of God we follow his work. You see, you don't have to work for salvation. It's a gift. You don't have to work in the things of God because he gives direction. What about you? Are you following his will? Are you following him in the work that he's done at Calvary? You see, that's where it all is. Jesus died for you. He rose again. He's coming to get us one day. Are you ready for him to come get you? If you've never asked Jesus into your heart to save you, you're not in Christ. You're lost. You need Jesus this morning, and I want to invite you to find him and know him as your Savior. How about you this morning? God is speaking to your heart. Let him make the difference. He has done the work. We are the workmanship. Follow him. Let's pray together. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. You're here this morning without Christ. You've never asked him to come into your heart and save you. I want to lead you in a prayer where you can open your heart and say yes to Him. Trust Him as your Savior. In faith, pray this prayer with me. Dear Father, I know I'm a lost sinner. I believe Jesus Christ died for me. I believe He rose again. By faith, Lord Jesus, I ask You to come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sin. Save me, Lord. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to get up. Nobody's looking. Get up and come to me right now. I want to talk to you. Talk about what you just did in receiving Christ and what you need to do. We're not through. You want to pray that prayer? Come down here. Let's pray it together. Tell you what you need to do. 
You need a church home. God brought you to this place where you can go to work and serve Him. We don't make fun of Him by just joining a church just so everybody leave us alone. We come to, to be a part so that God can use us and do His work. And we'll serve Him faithfully in the church. You come by letter, by statement for baptism. You come. I'll explain all that to you. God is speaking to your heart. He wants you to know, I did all the work. Just follow me and trust me as you go. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to our hearts. Give us the boldness to step out and say yes to him in Jesus' name. As we stand together and as we sing, I invite you to come. Come now, but come quickly to Christ.